So paradox is a term that means uh, you have kind of two things that don't seem to go together, that seem contradictory, um, that, that actually have some relationship to one another. So a great paradox would be like chief's defense. It's like, yeah, shouldn't be such a paradox, but apparently it is. So if you've read much of the Bible, then you guys know that the Bible is filled with these, these little paradoxical ideas. And Jesus, as he spoke, would say things that didn't seem to go together. He said things like, the first will be last, and the last will be first, or the least will be the greatest. He said, in our weakness, he is strong. Jesus, the king of kings, came not to be served, but to serve. He said, if you want to become wise, become a fool for Christ. Whoever wants to find his life must lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I could go on, but you kind of get the picture. The, the Bible is filled with this both-and perspective. Two things that seem to contradict can be true at the same time. And this past month, we've been taking a look during the season of Advent at one of these paradoxes. It's, it's this dual reality of who Christ is, that he was fully man and fully God at the same time. And we've taken a look at some of the titles that he used for himself, um, Son of Man, which he usually used to describe himself, and then Son of God, which yesterday we talked about a church that most often other people said that about Jesus. He didn't say that about himself. But both of those things are true. And we see evidence of that dual reality prophesied long before the Savior really arrived on the scene. So the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Christ, wrote this about the Savior that was to come. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so we see that contradiction or that paradox, that seeming contradiction right there. We have very human terms, this child, this son, coupled with this proclamation that that child and son is going to also be our mighty God. Now fast forward about 700 years in the story, and you have this angel Gabriel who shows up in this little town called Nazareth to give a message to this poor, unsuspecting teenage girl one night, Mary. And he tells her that she will give birth to a son. And that sounds very natural, human thing. But this son will be different because Gabriel goes on to tell her that this boy who she's supposed to name Jesus. And in Hebrew, Jesus means deliverer, rescuer. That this son is also going to be the son of God. And oh, by the way, Mary, you're also going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, whatever that means. So Mary, as you would guess, has a lot of questions about how this is all going to pan out. And so we're going to take a look at what she says back to the angel. So we're going to start in the book of Luke. If you want to grab a Bible if one's close, or you can look on your phone. Luke chapter 1. It's page 930 in your pew Bibles. In Luke chapter 1, verse 34, it says this. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, 
And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. So miracles are going to be happening all around her. She'll be pregnant and give birth to God himself. At the same time, the angel says, um, off in another spot, your elderly cousin Elizabeth, who hasn't been able to have a kid her whole life, is now going to be miraculously present and also give birth to a son who became John the Baptist. And how is all this happening? I love the, the translation, actually it's the old one, the King James version of verse 37. It says this, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, if we truly believe that, that has really profound implications for our life, doesn't it? If God can make himself fully human without losing any of his divinity or his godliness, what else can he do? And maybe what's most interesting to us is what does that mean for my life if those things are true? Well, I think it's important for us to take a look at how Jesus described kind of his mission statement for why he came. So when that baby in Bethlehem grew up, and became a man at the age of 30 we've been talking about that was the the proper age for a young man in Israel to become a rabbi so Jesus kind of flew under the radar honestly for about 30 years and just did normal ordinary things but then he left and he started his mission and he started going around Israel healing people and teaching people and proclaiming and letting people know through his actions and his words that he was the Messiah the Savior that they've been waiting for for a really long time. And then one day, pretty early on in his ministry, he showed back up in his hometown in Nazareth. And so I, wanna, I want you to flip over to Luke chapter 4, just a couple of pages over. We're going to take a look at verses 14 through 22. What did Jesus say about why he came? Verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee and the power of the Spirit and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. And I, and I hear in that a little bit of amazement, but also a little bit of doubt, right? Isn't this Joseph's son, the guy that we've grown up with and watched day after day, not do really anything miraculous, per se, in our midst for all these years, and now he's standing up in, in church, and he's telling us that he's the one that the prophet Isaiah wrote about 700 years ago who was going to come and do these things? Really? If Jesus was going to be able to do anything 
in the life of the people that he grew up with, they were first going to have to come, terms, come to terms with the paradox. That this Jesus that they knew they could see was human. They watched him do all the normal human things that he was also God. Someone who had the power to free the captives and to give sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free. And that's really the challenge for all of us as we come to kind of each Christmas. And we, we've heard this information about Jesus, some of us many, many times. Is how do we bring that information, that truth, into our present life circumstances? What does the Christmas story mean for my life in the here and now, right now? What does it mean to have a Savior and Lord who, because of his humanness, gets my pain? And understands the circumstances and the emotions and every situation going on in our life. How should that comfort and encourage us? And what does it mean that that same human Jesus is also fully God and capable of all things? That this Jesus has power. Well, we have to begin asking ourselves, where do we feel captive to sin? He wants to enter in and free us. In places that we don't even necessarily see as problems in our life, because honestly, there's just a lot of things that we're blind to about our own sinful conditions, that he wants to wipe away the scales. And he wants to help us see the things that are hindering our life and really honestly causing some damage in the relationships that are going on around us. And are we open to seeing those things? Are we actually praying to God and saying, hey, God, I want you to help me see the things in my life that I might not be aware of that are keeping me from being who you want me to be. And in those places where we feel oppressed by a spirit of anxiety or worry or depression or guilt or shame, do we believe that he can set us free from those things? That his mission for coming was to deal with the real junk in our lives here and now. And so this Advent, for me, I've been trying to connect more fully with this Savior of mine who's both fully human and fully God. I've been trying to enter into his story a little bit more deeply than maybe I ever have, really meditating on some of the things and the scenes from his life, hoping to try to connect it to my own story as well. And here's how God has been speaking to me personally in the last month. I've been kind of really blown away by the vulnerability of Christ. Somebody who could come, God, who could leave all of that and come down here and be completely dependent for his every need on other humans who he created. I mean, that is an unbelievable idea. To allow yourself to be human meant to open yourself up to every human emotion. And guys, Jesus didn't shy away from our brokenness. He pressed into it. And, and you see these situations come up in Scripture. You, you all maybe have heard the story about Lazarus, right? That Jesus raises from the dead. And, and Lazarus is a friend of his. And he has two sisters, Mary and Martha. And he hears that he's not doing well. And so he leaves and, and goes to that town. But when he arrives, he finds out that he's already passed away. And in that moment, he, 
He interacts with Mary and Martha, and they are just grief-stricken. And Jesus, knowing that he's going to, in a few moments, raise Lazarus to life, doesn't step out of his humanness. He enters into it, and he grieves with them, and he cries with them, and he mourns the human condition and this, this knowledge that we, we suffer things here, that he, he wants to do something about. But in that moment, he enters into their pain. And there's another story about a, a sinful woman who's been forgiven by Christ, and, and he's sitting there having dinner one night at these important religious leaders' house. And this woman kind of bursts onto the scene, comes into the house uninvited, and because of her gratitude for what Jesus had done, she begins weeping at his feet, and the tears are just falling down her face onto the feet of Christ. And she's taking her hair and wiping the tears away. And Jesus in that moment, instead of, you know, punishing her or calling her out for, for doing something kind of ridiculous and, and unacceptable in their culture for sure, he actually applauds and, and, and says just, you know, great things about the emotion that she's showing in that moment, this outpouring of gratitude. And of course, nothing is more vulnerable than being stripped and beaten and crucified in front of a, a mocking crowd of people who in that very moment as Jesus hung on the cross, he was dying to set those people free. So this past, past month, I've been coming to terms with my own lack of vulnerability and the way that a lot of times I kind of shut down and shut off my emotions and I can kind of become a distant isolated, task-driven person. And to be honest with you guys, I've never been very good at, when I'm going through difficult circumstances in life, really communicating my emotions in those times. And I'm coming to realize, just through some friends I'm talking through this stuff with, that, that that's damaging sometimes to the relationships around me, my family, my friends, that they don't know what's going on inside of me. And it, it causes... Uh, some walls to be built up, and it, it honestly keeps me from entering into the pain of others with compassion as well. So Jesus' example, when I take the time to consider it, challenges me to be a better reflection of his humanness. And it also gives me courage to know that as God, Jesus has both the desire and the power to transform me, to not leave me in that place of brokenness in my life. So what is it for you? What is the connection between this ancient story and your life here and now? Something that Jesus might be trying to get your attention on. Nothing is impossible with God. Doesn't mean that everything is going to turn out in your life the way you want it to. What it means is that true and lasting change, healing and restoration in your character is possible with God in the here and now. Because you see, we live in this in-between time, this both and time referred to by some as the now and not yet. You see, there are some things in our life and our character that are being made new right now. And there are other things that will only be fully restored when Jesus comes again, what's called his second advent or his second arrival. 
And in that time, which by the way, Jesus' second coming is prophesied about twice as much as his first coming. That's how certain we should be that he's coming back. And when he does come back, he will set everything right once and for all. John writes about this reality in Revelation chapter 21. If you want to turn there, you can. Revelation 21 is talking about that time when Christ will will come in power. In verse 3, it says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And guys, that's why my hope is in Jesus. And that's why that baby in a manger is my God. Because his compassion and his grace encourage me to be fully human, being loved and loved by others in ways that bring true life. And his power, his divinity, his godness gives me courage to face my brokenness that my failures will be made new, either in this life or the life to come. And either way, whenever Jesus chooses to heal us and to change us, whether it's now or maybe it's we have to wait until we're in his presence until those things are made right. What the story of Christmas is, is that in the meantime, God is with us. He's with us, Emmanuel, right? For a few very lucky people in the New Testament, he was physically with them. But now for us, through the Holy Spirit, he dwells in us. And so that we don't have to face the challenges of life alone as we wait for that time when everything will be made right. We have a Savior that's right there in the battle with us, fighting for us, praying for us, and that is good news. Emmanuel, son of man, son of God, is with us, and we are never alone. So we praise him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for just your wisdom and your plan to redeem us, taking on flesh, coming and experiencing life here so that we would have a Savior that empathizes with our weaknesses. Hebrews tells us that now we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because we have a God who understands us, a God who wants to move and work in our life. And God, I pray that we would embrace and and enter into this story in a very personal way. God, sometimes Christmas gets really busy and we miss it. We miss what it is you're trying to communicate to us, the work you want to do in our life, and I pray that we wouldn't miss it this year. (laughs) God, that the reality that you not only connect with us, but God, that you have the power to change us would just be encouraging, would give us hope, would inspire us to dig in, to be more like you, and knowing that you have the resources to do that. God, we love you. We thank you for this night. We thank you for what your story means, that nothing is impossible with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close tonight and, and sing our last song, um, as was mentioned earlier tonight, 
we live in a world, honestly, where we look around and, and it looks pretty dark. There's a lot of brokenness, a lot of pain. Sometimes our life is in the mix of, mix of that as well. And Jesus came and he said, I am the light of the world. But he didn't stop there. Because when, as he continued to teach, he also said to us, you are the light of the world. And so our responsibility is to take this light as we light from the Christ candle tonight and to be his disciples and his followers and spread that light wherever we go, pushing back the darkness all around us. So as we sing this last song here tonight, you guys can stand and we'll uh, start passing the the candle down the rows and make sure everybody uh, gets lighted here as we sing.
Thank you guys for being with us tonight. As you um, leave, if you could just place the candles um, with the boxes back there in the back. Have a Merry Christmas and a wonderful New Year. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you guys.